What is up, good people? Welcome back to the Holy Shit Pod. This week, we are returning to our typical podcast format. Thanks for hanging with us through last week's conversation. In today's Word of Pod, we're talking about guns, the potential for a race war in America, and whether or not justice was actually served in the trial of Derek Chauvin. But before we get into that, I think we need a little bit of foolishness to start the week off right, don't you? So let's go on over to the pulpit and hear a few church announcements, why don't we? Are you ready? Well, let's get into it. Welcome back to the Church of Holy Shit and the Temple of All Saints and Aints. I am Brandon T. Maxwell. I'm KT Ricks. Or actually, I'm Katie Ricks. <laughs> you know, I'm going to call you by your name. <laughs> call me by my name. She don't know. Wow. Come on, a selection. Wow. Come on, a selection. It sounded very churchy, too. Call me by my name. It was, very, it, it was actually kind of yeah. like contemporary white worship. Right, like he was had a guitar and some smoke machines. Who are you? I'm Pastor Sam. I'm the I'm the H N I see around here. Good people. Katie, do you know what that stands for? Yes, I do, and I can only say three of the words. Tell us. Head in charge. <laughs> I'm the H M F I C. We are attempting to get back into the standard rhythm of the show. Big disclaimer, this today's recording was done in two parts. And so if you hear some things that sound a little different, that's because we recorded it in two parts. We recorded one part nearly immediately after we heard about the results from the Derek Chauvin trial. We just wanted to talk to one another and figured that we would record that. So the more intense parts, perhaps, are probably from that session. And then we came back in to record things in a normal format because I think for me in part, because I was like, you know, I'm really getting kind of heavy in my sort of anti-white supremacy space. And I feel like this thing is about to take me under. I felt like I was teetering on like some sort of serious depression, which is okay. I don't think that depression needs to be avoided. It needs to be embraced. But I felt myself getting pulled into the vortex. And so yeah. I was like, let me breathe for a second because that's still a function of white supremacy. And that is still a way in which whiteness tries to control our emotions and our actions. Yeah. So we're trying to get back into somewhat of a standard rhythm for the podcast, which can also be a source of joy. So a few announcements today, some for fun and some for serious. Last week, we ended our episode with prayers of the people. That was an impromptu thing, but we're kind of feeling the vibe. And so what we want to do is invite you as listeners to send to us your prayers on a weekly basis or whenever you're feeling it. Just go to theolabmedia.com. And when you get there, you'll see a little bitty tab, whether you're on your phone or your computer, it'll pop up on the left-hand side of the screen. Click it and you'll be walked through a prompt of how to submit to the Holy Shit Pod either a question, a prayer for the people, or a shout out. <laughs> I think those are the three things you can do. If you're not comfortable recording those things, you can also send them to us via email in writing. We're always happy to receive your prayers and or your questions via email. You can email those to holyshit at feelatmedia.com and we'll read them on the air. So again, that's a new segment that's going to be coming up. We won't do it every week, but we'll do it when we have a critical mass of prayers submitted by you, our listeners. And I'm excited to hear some of your voices and get to know your stories, your desires, your concerns even more in the coming days, weeks, months, and for the rest of our lives. 
I want to give a huge shout out to one of our listeners, Piper Jones. I was mentioned on one of the social media platforms. I'm like, what is this from somebody I went to college with like 10 years ago? I'm like, why is this person mentioning me? It's a part of a thread where Piper Jones is like raving about this podcast and telling people that they need to listen because this has become a regular part of her weekly rhythm. And this is where she gets her sustenance almost. She's like, this is her weekly sermon. And I'm like, whoo. Ooh, Piper, that's not uh whoa, you going in. I don't know what's to say about that, but no, we we really appreciate it's better than 90% of the shit that's being preached on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. We certainly appreciate your loyalty. This podcast is the hair of the dog. Like after you've gone to your church on Sundays. I don't even know what that means. It's because you're saved. <laughs> after you've gone to your church service on Sunday and gotten drunk on the blood of Jesus and all of that white supremacist bullshit, you come here and we help you get over that hangover. What is the hair of the dog? I can't believe you've never heard of that. I feel like that's never like from rural that. Alabama. I feel like it originated in rural wow. Alabama. Why could it be rural Tennessee? Because there's just moonshine there. You just keep drinking. (laughs) Tennessee whiskey. Tennessee moonshine. Second announcement before we get to the funny stuff. If you are someone who's sensitive and very into political correctness, I don't know how you've made it this far. (laughs) (laughs) How are you still listening? (laughs) How are you still here? And these church announcements may be a little bit more uh, risque than typical. Now I'm concerned. For our first official announcement, the chair of the Deacon's Family Ministry would like to inform the congregation that they will be joining the International Deacons of Defense and Justice Ministry (laughs) for the sake of protecting the Black community. Only Black members are invited to this announcement. So even if you're not a deacon, you are welcome to join the Defense and Justice Ministry for gun training. Anyone interested in learning to shoot and preparing for the impending race battle can meet them at the Black-Owned Gun Store and Range, Bubba Ray's Shooting Range, next Saturday at 9 a.m. What snacks are they going to have there? Why are you asking questions? Did you hear the part where it was only for Black people? Only for Black folk. I did hear, but I wanted you to tell, because usually at church events, you have snacks along with your... This is what y'all do? I know I wasn't going to go, but... (laughs) Well, I'm actually glad you asked me. What's funny, white woman, is if I had sent you a script, I would feel like this was another moment where you were trying to white-splain some shit and get ahead of me, but because I know you ain't seen the script... (laughs) I'm just going to trust that it was the Holy Ghost. So in conjunction with the Deacon's Family Ministry, the Boy Scouts have decided to cancel their fish fry that was originally scheduled to take place after today's service. I'm sorry, what? What you saying, Deacon Cliff? Come closer. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh... They're not canceling. Let me reflect. Okay, I misspoke. The fish fry is still on. However, in lieu of paying for fish sandwiches, all black members are welcome to come purchase a gun from our local black-owned gun store, which will have a tent outside after service. (laughs) Members will receive a catfish sandwich for every Glock they purchase for themselves. If you purchase a Glock for yourself and someone else, you will have a choice between catfish and or whiting. (laughs) And... What'd you say, Cliff? Oh, 
Oh shit. Okay. So if you purchase two or more guns and sign up for Saturday's gun training event, you will be given a fish platter with whiting and catfish and your choice of size. You get two, either cornbread, hush puppies, slaw, Geraldine's famous meat spaghetti, tater chips, not potato chips, just tater chips, or Herschel's green beans. Now y'all know Herschel can't cook. Why? Who the <laughs> hell invited Herschel to cook the damn green beans? That's for the white people. White people, that's the only snack. So, Katie, your snack is green beans. And the reason Herschel green beans ain't shit... He doesn't use fat backing. It's because he don't use fat back. He be on some vegan green bean shit. And so, that, so actually, green beans are only for white people. You may not purchase a gun, but you may come with your Black Lives Matter sign that I know you have from three years ago, stand on the curb and eat these bland-ass green beans from Herschel. Well... If the green beans are for white people, then it has to be green bean casserole, uh, first of all. And who wrote this, first of all? How are you selling fish and you ain't got no potato salad on the menu? Well, they had slaw. These people said they had slaw. They don't want potato salad because they said it's going to be hot outside and they don't want it to get nasty. You know, everybody can't fix potato salad. Brandon has very strict rules around potato salad. I don't know what new age, diverse, mixed church this is, but this ain't the black church I went to (laughs) because it ain't no potato salad. And how in the world do you think an upgrade from catfish is whiting? Oh, my God. Whiting is better. I hate catfish. (laughs) Oh, my God. I think the bougie Negroes like whiting. (laughs) Because, because you know, catfish is a bottom feeder. And the Bible says you that. The Bible says. The Bible says a lot of shit that you don't believe. The Bible said that you should not be eating the bottom feeders. The Bible doesn't say those words exactly. Look, don't go to Leviticus. Go to This will be the only time that I've ever quoted Leviticus. Oh, I was about to say something, but... I know what you was about of, to say. For the sake of not yeah, sounding yeah. homophobic, I'm not yeah, going to I was thinking it five minutes ago. <laughs> You're going to talk about some Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, no, no, not that scripture. <laughs> oh, my God. So that's all foolish. But I do have one more announcement uh, in real life. The last announcement comes to us from longtime, oh, not longtime, former church member Mabel Simmons, also known as Medea from Tyler Perry's play. And hold on. She told me I have to open this live and read it. I haven't read it yet. Hold on. Let me see. Don't get us sued by Tyler Perry, please. Let me see what she said. Hold on. Let me open up. She done sealed this thing. She's right down the street. She done sealed this thing. Hold on. Let me see what the hell. We're getting a cease and desist order. Let me see what the hell she done said to us. Okay, here it go. Here it go. Here it go. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. In classic Mabel fashion, Mabel said, I told y'all motherfuckers. I told y'all motherfuckers that y'all all needed guns, but y'all was too woke and said you didn't want no guns because you was against gun violence. And you said that my movies was too violent because I had a gun in my purse in all the movies. And now all y'all want to go to the Walmart and buy the guns. I told y'all motherfuckers. Signed, Mabel Simmons. So those are our church announcements for the day. You should govern yourselves accordingly. If you can't tell 
by what we've said already, what I've said already, because Katie and Sam are looking at me like, what the fuck? How did these church announcements come to be? We're talking about gun violence and we're talking about police brutality. We are still reflecting on the life and the legacy, celebrating and remembering the life of George Floyd. And I'm not suggesting there's a correlation between celebrating his life and owning a gun. But I am acknowledging that in the last few months and weeks, there's been a trend where in Black people are buying guns in mass. And all of a sudden, we also hear all these cries for legislation against gun violence. I'm assuming there's a correlation between gun control legislation and the fact that Black people are buying guns. We will get into all of that today. Today's episode is going to be a mixed bag. Again, it's from two separate recording sessions, but um, that was my attempt to bring a little bit of levity to the conversation. And if you continue listening, if you're already offended, welcome back. I don't know why you got so comfortable. Welcome back to the show. Keep on listening. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it'll be time for the word of pod for the people of pod. Everybody say, thanks, thanks be to, pod. to pod. In pod we trust. Oh, my bad. <laughs> Go to break. <laughs> So one of the things that's happened in the wake of George Floyd's murder and just black people experiencing violence from the police and white folks who aren't police, you know, sort of self-sanctioned vigilantes is black folks have been buying guns, y'all. More black Americans have been buying firearms and joining gun clubs in recent months. Uh, There is an association for this called the National African-American Gun Association. And it happened during the pandemic and following the death of George Floyd. According to the National African-American Gun Association, more than 2,000 people joined the organization 36 hours after George Floyd's death. In addition to that, uh, black humans brought about 58% more guns in the first six months of 2020 than they did in the same time frame in 2019. So, like, there's this increase in gun ownership. And I'm just going to kind of say, like, I don't know how I was socialized, but I was raised in a home that had a gun at the time that I was raised in it. I, I know your daddy had a gun. I know your daddy had multiple guns. He had one. He had one. He, may, he had at least one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then I never, you know, got a gun. Like when I moved out, my dad was like, you need to get a gun. And I was like, no, I don't want no gun. Like guns typically harm the folks that live there. There's so much data, so much research about how having a gun in the home in most cases doesn't actually protect you. And then I got married and my partner, we were moving in together and I was like oh those are guns (laughs) I I don't know if they still exist at that time I said I don't want to know that they're in the house you think he sold them you think he just they disappeared or something I'm just not telling all my business (laughs) I'm not telling all my business but I mean so so there are guns in the home where I live now and for me also in the wake of the election like when we were sitting there waiting to see what was going to happen with the election in 2020 there were more black people buying guns then because there was this sense and there a fear, really, that these white folks are going to rage and we have to be able to protect ourselves. I mean, I, I was reading somewhere online that there are um, 121 guns for every 100-person member community. So, like, if you have a community of 100 people, there are 121 guns in that community. Good Lord. And so, like, I'm not somebody that thinks that we need more guns, but I am someone who has a... I might call it a complicated history with guns because 
they were in my household growing up and I went through this whole, I guess I would call it a progressive liberal, like, oh my God, we don't need to have guns. And now I'm just kind of in a place like, protect your shit. If guns make you feel more safe and more empowered, protect your shit. Like, I'm also at a place where I'm like, I watched Judas and the Black Messiah and I would love to see a resurgence of a black militia group that's like solely for the sake of protecting black people because as much as I'm a pacifist, I'm also a pass a fist. Like I don't believe in turning the other cheek. Like pass your fist. Like pass a fist. I know that's cheesy, but that's me. That is very cheesy. You are very cheesy. I'm with you 100%. Arm yourselves. The funny thing is, I think if I had never had an experience with guns in terms of like training, proper training, I probably would be fearful for myself to have a gun because of some of those, some of the same stuff Brandon's like, you know, you, you're more likely to get hurt or be harmed by the, by the gun that's in your house. And a lot of people have accidents with guns because of improper use or cleaning or handling and all of that stuff. Um, but because I previously did have a, a career or a job that, that trained me regularly in the use of firearms, I'm very comfortable with having a gun. And I've had one since I was in that job. And I think that's the big thing right there. Like, it's the training. Like, for me, I don't own a gun personally, um, and I don't shoot guns. But I'm in the place of saying, like, I'm not going to go out and just buy a gun and get a gun license. Like, I want to be in a place where I'm trained to use a gun properly so that I don't do anyone harm. Because when the race war starts, I want to have my loins girded. You expecting a race war, Brandon? It's already happening. Like, it hasn't happened in the way that I thought. Like, when January the 6th happened, I was like, all right, here we go. It's about to be like this for the next 17 years. And for for me, that meant, like, actual war in the streets every single day. Like, I could see another civil war happening. But what, what I think has actually happened is there's been this sort of slow progression of, and by slow progression, I mean very rapid progression, and an increase in these mass shootings, and an increase in police brutality, at least the public sort of spectacle that has occurred in the last probably three or four months of 2021. And for me, that still is a type of war. So I don't know if it's, if I think a race war is coming. I think that we are already in the midst of a race war and the news media. And I think the Chauvin trial is a prime case study in this likes to spectacularize these things, right? Like, I'm going to spectacularize this George Floyd incident. And it's so significant because it was eight minutes and 43 seconds. And we make a spectacle of it that makes us think that this violence isn't happening every single day. Like, Makia, Makia Bryant still ain't getting the mm-hmm. high-profile attention she needs because she's in the shadow of the spectacularization of the Derek Chauvin trial. So I think that the race war's already started. Katie, what do you think about guns? So we did not have guns growing up at all. Like, my, my dad was in the Army. I remember, I have a very early memory of seeing a gun in our house. My parents still cannot believe that that happened. They think it happened when I was like two. My dad was the payroll officer, so he would have had a gun at home, but it was like one day out of my entire life. We weren't allowed to have water guns. The only thing we could get were like, I remember having little elephants that you could spray water with. We weren't allowed to have them at all. I know. (laughs) You make it so easy (laughs) to talk about you. So no, I I get it. So because it, it's gonna get better. Um, I learned to. I shot um, a shotgun one time. Like I, I apparently dated people who had guns. So I learned to shoot a shotgun. Um, oh, I'm shit, actually, you was from you was from North Carolina. 
No, no. You I'm couldn't from... date any, anybody you dated had a gun. No, so <laughs> I'm not from North Carolina. This was in the Midwest. So oh, then, okay. like, I was dating this other person and went to went to her home, and her father was, like, um, complaining about the Second Amendment and how they were taking, they were going to destroy the Second Amendment. And I'm sitting there in the house going, shit, what is the Second Amendment? And trying to figure it out in my head, but knowing that I wasn't supposed to say that. And then he takes us into his bedroom, and in the closet, there are, like, countless numbers of shotguns. And then I was like, oh, my goodness. I might need—she was a police officer. I was like, I might need to learn how to shoot a gun. They were thrilled. Within two minutes, the entire dining room table was covered with guns. I mean, there was was one in every, like, square foot of their house. Sound like a drug cartel story or something. I'm telling you. (laughs) But but it's— but. Um, but what I learned, I mean, that's funny because I always laugh about the Second Amendment. I always laugh about that that moment. But um, when I moved to the South, that's when I realized, not about people that have 30 guns in their home, but I realized that hunters, like, hunted for food. Like, I worked for someone in South Georgia who— Wait a minute. What? How old were you when you realized that hunters hunted? <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought, I mean, I was raised with this progressive liberal thing that it's all, uh, it's it's just a game, right? But but this person that I worked with, <laughs> I get it. I Make fun of me if you will. But, but these folks- said a word. <laughs> these, yeah, but they can't see your eyes. Um, these folks, the only meat that they had for the whole year was whatever- this woman's husband was able to hunt for. And it was essential for their lives. And so it was that experience that helped me to understand like guns for hunting and that the training happened so early. And this person that I was married to had learned how to shoot guns as early as three, which feels odd to me, but that that there's your learning right away. The flip side of this is, I think that what I noticed with my partner at the time was that her anxiety was raised by the gun. Like I felt like her anxiety or fear was increased because she had the guns. Hmm. There are times that as a woman, I feel like it would be great if I had a some kind of protection, but... Um, but Why you got to say as a woman, Brandon, do the same stuff? I was going to say. But, but but that's where how I enter the conversation. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but... I, th- I thought you were trying to call me a woman for a second, and I was like, don't do it. But I was like, it's fine if you do, because she's mean. <laughs> and, but I was about to ask you, Katie, like, I'm not trying to make light of this <laughs> at all. And This is about to be funny. Like, Katie, I feel like when I first met you, I was like, this woman, like, I, I don't know if it's just a white woman thing or if, like, my f- women friends just aren't like you. But I was like, you are constantly scared that somebody going to rape you. Like, I feel like you should stay strapped up. Oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. I thought I knew what Wow. I was like, where in the hell is he going? <laughs> what are we talking about? <sighs> oh, my God. That was, oh, my God. It wasn't quite Freudian. It was just like the Holy Spirit. I feel like you should keep a gun on you because like if I live with that, maybe you don't have that same kind of fear anymore, but I feel like there wasn't 30 minutes that went by where you weren't like, is that person going to rape me or my mother or my child? That would be a fascinating conversation because 
Um, because I think that women feel that way on a regular basis. And I don't think men know. I mean, I used to. All women? Well, obviously it's not all women. Nothing is all anything. But, but, but I've met women who I was surprised that they were concerned about it. But it's just for many women, it's something that's, um, that we just inherently have. Oh. Yeah. I've never heard you speak like this, Katie. Like what? Like being afraid of... In, with such general statements. Well, that's why I didn't say all. You were the one that said all. Oh, no. I, you you didn't say all. You said women. And I, I was getting you to clarify yeah, when I, I said I, all. I mean, I would be interested. I think, I mean, I think they've done, whoever they are have done studies, but it would be interesting if it ca- crossed like racial, ethnic populations. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't think I'm... I don't think I'm an anomaly. No, I don't. I don't think you're an anomaly either. In some ways, that was a little bit of a rabbit that we chased. But I think what I'm trying to highlight is like, even for me, I think it's helpful knowing that even folks who Sam, I'm not including you in this, but even folks who are like, you know, no to guns, anti guns, like we still wrestle with: mm-hmm. should I own a gun? Should I have a way to protect myself and or my family? And like the fact that we live in a culture and a world that teaches us or shapes us in a fashion that makes us think that's our only option or a primary option that we should choose is something that I think needs to be interrogated. But I think for myself and for other Black people living in America, particularly Black folks who did not vote for Donald Trump, I would like for us to arm ourselves while we're having this conversation because while we sit up here pontificating and talking about it, white folks are still buying guns. And when the race war happens, we ain't going to be Wait, why did up. you say you're not including me in that? Because you are okay with guns. You're not somebody who's That's like, you shouldn't have guns. Uh, but I thought you just, but you are too. Well, but you're kind of torn, I guess, it sounds like. I'm not anymore. torn. I just haven't taken the next okay. step, right? Like I'm very crystal clear that I think black people need to own guns in America for our own protection and our yeah. own safety. And like, if it gets to the point where there is a race war, like they may be able to enlist me as a general because I'm a very good strategist. And I'm like, let's blow some shit up and let's let, let's win this thing. I, I want to be a general too. And I think... Uh, Here comes the general. <laughs> hey, Here comes the general. Oh Sam, we could be like Hamilton. I'll be Hamilton. Who was the big one in the sh- in the in the musical? I've never watched the it. man from the genie, the genie from the uh, Aladdin. Oh, I can be the genie from the Aladdin. He had a gun in Aladdin. No, I'm so confused um, right now. Hercules Mulligan. We are talking about Hamilton. Hercules, Hercules. You, you gonna be Hercules Mulligan? <laughs> and and I'm you, gonna be Hamilton. We gonna start it. Yes, I'm Hercules. I love this shit already. Anyway. <laughs> uh, I think black I think black people should own gun. Gun ownership is should be paramount in black families. So should gun safety and yes, gun absolutely. training. Absolutely. Um and so hear yes. me say that. Yes, black people should own guns, but black people should take the additional step of making sure that they first make sure they own the guns through whatever legal measure or channels that is appropriate in their state. Because that's just another hurdle if they are caught driving with a gun and they don't have the right permit or, you know, those are felonies that are unjust, unequal justice system is going to impose on them even while they're trying to pass gun legislation allows you to have guns anywhere, except if you are black and driving and you don't have this particular thing and, you know, all of this other stuff. So be educated about the laws for guns in your state. Make sure that you 
are trained on how to use that gun and then practice gun safety and how you store your gun in your house, especially if you have small children. Correct. Um, so that people can access. I've, I've, I know some terrible stories of kids who yeah. have suffered or died because they had access, even if the parents didn't intend it, to a lawfully owned gun in the house. Right. And so, and so, like some of those fears that you talked about, Brandon, they can be mitigated if we practice certain things. Yeah, if we educate ourselves and we yeah. are safe, and you educate your children. I mean, I think that's that's part of it as well. It's it's making sure that they're stored properly, but also mm-hmm. if your kids know know about gun safety and know the gravity mm-hmm. of it, then they're going to be able to make better choices. Listen, listen to the white lady telling the black people to educate their children. My God. Oh, God. Don't put that in the podcast. I'm just playing. (laughs) Uh, We're going to take another break, and we will be right back after a quick pause. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Hi, I'm Lisa Weaver, the host of Theolab Media's new podcast, Healing Jephthah's Daughters a podcast for all women and all girls who live with the trauma from their relationships with their fathers. On this podcast, we'll use family systems theory, biblical criticism, and storytelling to identify liberative practices that lead to our freedom, healing, and wholeness. Join me each Wednesday for conversations with friends, colleagues, biblical scholars, and mental health practitioners who will accompany us on the journey. Healing Jephthah's Daughters is available on all platforms. Subscribe via your favorite podcast app today. And as always, my prayer for you is freedom, healing, and wholeness. Welcome back to the conversation. You just heard a little snippet from the new Theolab Media podcast, Healing Jephthah's Daughters with the Reverend Dr. Lisa M. Weaver. We got two episodes out right now. The third episode is coming out this Wednesday. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and hit that subscribe button in your podcast app of choice for Healing Jephthah's Daughters and join Lisa on a journey to healing, freedom, and wholeness. Now, for our conversation today, let's get started by talking about what happened with the Derek Chauvin trial. We got three guilty verdicts. Guilty on three counts. Second-degree murder, third-degree murder, second-degree manslaughter. No, it's not manslaughter. Oh, Katie don't even know what she's talking about. It's something about negligence and not meaning to cause the death of somebody, which there's a lot of co- a conversation about how can you be guilty of murder and unintentional murder. So Derek Chauvin was found guilty on all counts for which he was charged. He was convicted of second and third degree murder as well as second degree manslaughter. So those were the three convictions. Oh, it is. It does say manslaughter. Yeah. So, so you said, Katie, you were right. We're not gonna do that, white woman. Mm, <laughs> no, I don't think she was. I'm still, I'm still debating if she he was may right. Be, he may have not been correct, but you're not gonna do that today. <laughs> not today. And for all y'all people that, that police be saying how we talk to Katie, mind your business. Mind the business that pays you. Mind your business. Oh, yes. We got this thing on lock here. If you don't have relationships that match, that's your business. But we got one that is like this. Anyway, so how are we feeling after this? What's happening? I know that there's been a lot of activity on social media. I've posted some things. Sam, you've posted some things. Katie, I think you posted some nice little white reflective things to call your people back. Oh, no, Katie. Wait, before we we move on, I need to go back to the charges. 
It's third degree murder, second degree unintentional murder, and second degree manslaughter. That's where the um, discrepancy was coming in with that unintentional murder charge. But I knew it was in there somewhere. That word unintentional is bullshit. Correct. It's It should have been first degree murder. Second degree murder is always unintentional. But like Sam already said, right? Sam already said like, yo, they had to throw the book at this guy. And the assumption is that they couldn't have got a conviction for first degree murder. Because I think first degree murder requires premeditation, right? Like you have to premeditate that thing, plan it out, plot it out, and then kill the person. I still think that if they would have hired me as a lawyer and I do not have a JD and I'm not board certified, I would have I would have got him on first first degree degree murder, baby. Because after (laughs) after that first minute, after that first minute, (laughs) after that first minute, that became intentional. That was a fucking premeditation. He he was trained. Mm Exactly. In martial arts, and somebody told that man what he was doing, and he looked at them in the face like, "I know what the fuck I'm doing." Mm-hmm. And 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 the, the length of time for me that like what what qualifies as premeditation is my question. I don't think it's just premeditation. I think it's like intent, which also Brandon fits here, yes. right? Like after yes. that first minute, you intended to after he said, "I can't breathe," and you continued to apply the measure that was killing him. Your intention in that moment, even if when you went to arrest him, you didn't intend to kill him, when you fail to remove your knee, that your intent is very clear. Exactly. I mean, and I get it. I, I get it. There's probably not a lot of legal precedent for that. There's not a lot of legal precedent for actually convicting police officers when they do things like this and kill black people. So I understand. I'm not judging the prosecutors. They did a wonderful job in what they were doing and fighting within the American political system for a certain type of so-called justice. Um, so no tea, no shade, but I still would have thrown that first degree book at him and tried to com- make a compelling argument. This is crazy. When we talk about the, the, the existence of this video, the reason that so many within the police department came out against him was also because of this video. Because it's so easy to project impropriety onto black bodies and black faces. In the absence of that video, these officers would have said whatever they wanted to about George Floyd being a threat and being combative and being aggressive. They would have said whatever they wanted to about the crowd antagonizing and being a threat. And they would have believed him, not just the jury. The police chief would have backed him. Everybody else would have backed him. And this is coming from somebody who's worked in law enforcement. The fact that they sat there and watched the video, they said, oh, we can't do shit with this. Not one thing. They said, no, we can't. We, you on your own now. You on your own shot. And now if we if this video didn't exist, we probably could we could work. We could we could we we would support you. We back the blue. You know how they are. But because of the video, it, it made it le- it made it more difficult for people to say this black man is a threat. So now I guess we black people need to walk around with body cameras on. <laughs> well, isn't it the case that actually the police department put out a notification that that a medical incident had happened and a and a suspect died. I wonder. I don't know the research. I wonder how soon after. No, it, it is. is. I know. I know. I know. I know. It was an actual statement. I wonder how soon after this incident the statement was put out, and I wonder if they had time to review the body camera before they gave that statement. Was there body cam footage? Is my question. Oh, yeah. that's right. The, the the footage that we're watching is not body camera. I'm sorry. It is the it is the, um, uh, Frazier's video. So they probably put that out before they knew mm-hmm. there was a video or, yeah. Right. Right, because it didn't happen. I don't think they turned over the video until that evening or something. That's when it... So you, you, it, without that video, 
you wouldn't have that black police, even though he's black. That black police chief would not be supporting the officer. I'm just going to be honest. I worked in law enforcement. I know how this plays out. Yes. And even though we had a video that showed the entire thing, there was no confidence that the correct verdict was going to happen yesterday. Like, we didn't know if they were going to come back guilty or not guilty, even though it was clearly, clearly murder. Listen, Eric Garner was clearly murdered in, in Bronx. He was clearly put in a chokehold and said 11 times, I cannot breathe until they choke the literal life out of him. And the grand jury returned no true bill and refused to indict the officers who killed him. And so at this point, why, why should we have faith in this system? Oh, I don't. My hope is built on nothing less. It ain't built on white Jesus. But there's so much to unpack with, with all of this, right? Every time something like this happens, happens getting really mad at church people or I shouldn't say church people. I do get mad at church people. People who claim to follow Jesus. But I get mad at at pastors and leaders. The ones who have, especially the ones who have the platforms, the pulpits, uh, and especially those who are so vocal about other stuff, right? Like holiness standards and how you should be living. And they they always on, you know, and when stuff like this happens, whether it's the the Derek Chauvin trial or whether it was the actual assassination or murder of George Floyd, I go to some of these people's social media to see what they're saying. And it's so quiet, you can hear a rat pissing on cotton. It, 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 they're not, there's no, there's no type of commentary. There's no type of comments. There's no type of, you know, I, and I mean, from the big preachers all the way to some of these local folks. Why, why are millions of black people watching Joel Osteen? Why? Why? When he ain't got shit to say when black people are killed in the streets. This is my Bible. Why? I believe I can have what it says I can have. I can do what it says I can do. And I can be who it says I can be. Do you believe that, Joel Osteen? Because your Bible is telling you that you can be white and kill black people. Do you believe that? Because that's the only evidence I see of what your Bible is teaching you. You're right. They ain't saying shit. But it ain't just him. It's some of these, I'm from rural Alabama. It's some of my neighbors and folks that I grew up with. I'm going to not get too uh, disrespectful. Uh, (laughs) Who after, who was it? Um, I think it was Baltimore. I think it was Freddie Gray. Maybe it was Freddie. You know, there's so many names. So many names. So many. So many. One of these Mm -hmm. preachers was commenting because I was, I was, I, you know, I get loud on social media sometimes. All the time. And they were saying people shouldn't be breaking windows and people shouldn't be, what is that going to change and all of this stuff. But you don't say shit when people are dying and being killed in the streets. Like you have nothing to say, nothing to say when these people die. But you're concerned about a target. But that's the history of Christianity, Sam. Like, Literally from the onset of colonialism by the American Empire, they sent the missionaries in first to domesticate the people, and then they sent the state in. And that's not even a true binary. Like, we shouldn't even separate the missionaries in the state because the missionaries Mm -hmm. were agents of the state. They sent missionaries in to do op work to figure out what's happening, to scout out the territory, to see where the weaknesses were, 
to strategically assess how to infiltrate their countries, their communities, while handing them all Bibles. And after those special op missionaries went in, the real soldiers came in and enslaved and killed whoever they wanted to. In the same manner, when the people get unruly, we need the special ops forces, also known as the pastors, also known as the priests, also known as the elders, to go quiet the people. Give the people a Christian song. Give the people the how great is our God. Give the people the scripture that talks about forgiveness. Give the people something to calm them down. Because if you don't, we're going to take away your tax exemption status. Don't you like all these benefits that you get? Mm-hmm. Don't you like all the ways that we help you steal money from the people? Don't you like all these ways that we help you maintain power? Don't you like all the ways that we allow you who are uneducated, you who got fake doctorates, to feel like you smart? They ain't got no fake doctors, do you? I don't think they fake. I don't think they got nothing. They ain't got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying... I don't know too many people with doctor on their CV and they ain't got nobody's degree. They just got a robe with three bars on the arm. <laughs> How you get that robe? Did somebody sew that for you? Take- <laughs> like, you? Like, you made a deal with us. So, like, it's not surprising to me. And I think that's part of the reason that every single time something like this happens, I'm so sad that literally the first thing that comes up to my mouth are hymns. Hmm. <laughs> And there's something that feels so empty about them. Yet and still, it's the only language that I have, at least in some moments, that feels like it fully articulates something that I feel. And it's never about the words. But it's so, but like that, like that's why I sit here and I'm like, why am I sitting here talking about victory belongs to Jesus, victory belongs to him? I know that I don't mean that or believe that in the way that the authors of the song believe it. But there's something about the melody right now that both helps me languish, but also helps me to live. Victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to him. Victory belongs to Jesus. Victory belongs to him. Shut up. Shut up. Oh, tell me. (laughs) I'm just trying to find a way to get, like, like, I, I, I think I'm just trying to say, like, maybe it's just the act of singing itself. But when I try to sing Beyonce, it don't have the same impact on me in these moments. When I try to do that, that Taze shit, it don't work. It's Taze. Taze. <laughs> I'm wondering if it's the history of singing that song. So in the church, the community that um, gave you strength, even with all the struggles of the church, but that that song or those hymns that you're singing are tied to something else, a place. Yeah. He just got music in his bones. It just does. It's it's his. It's in some ways his therapy. It is my therapy, but I think for me, I always am trying to reimagine what it means to worship a deity. And so, like when I'm sitting there saying, "Waymaker, miracle worker, promise keep a light in the darkness," my God, that is who you are. For me, in that sentence, God is the collective history of my people and the collective struggle of my people throughout time, eternity, across time and space. Because black people, if you want to find a God, look at black people's history. If you, if, if you want to figure out a way in which the way-making God, the miracle-working God is embodied in everyday time and space, it's in my people's history. 
Because even though y'all try to kill us, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, even when you try to claim justice in somebody's name who ain't fooling with you, who you murdered, waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, I'm able to sing that and claim God as the fullness and the most complex expression of blackness that's been holding all of us together. But I think it's deeper than that for you because I, I don't think it's the lyrics. That song, it may be the lyrics. I think you will sing songs that you absolutely and totally disagree with, not because, you know, you're trying to convince yourself otherwise, but it's something in the me- melody. It's something in the music. It's something in the act of singing, like Katie's saying. It's something that that's deeper that music does to you. I think it's both and. There's an author, uh, Barbara Holmes, Dr. Barbara Holmes, who wrote a book called Joy Unspeakable. Mm. And it talks about the spirituality um, in the black church as being communal. So in with white folks, spirituality might be contemplative prayer. It might be silence. And, and however, in the black church, spirituality is experienced in community, in the collective worship in the history of the people. And so that's what I was wondering about as you were saying it. Because What's the name of this book again? It's called Joy Unspeakable. See, this is what I love about you, Katie. You know, you know how to toe a line, Heifer, because <laughs> what you could have been doing, somebody could have heard that as white explaining. But I'm going to say that you was a white woman who've done your homework. You have done your homework. And white people, if you want to do homework, there are so many black people who are sitting in seminaries, who have written books that are targeting you. There are black people who have had, who have an entire academic career based off of black explaining to white people. Go get Cleo LaRue's book about preaching. It's for you. It don't tell me shit I don't know or already know. And Katie, you read all them books and you sit up here on this podcast and you talk like you almost was raising a black church. Well, Dr. Barbara Holmes said, <laughs> you better tell us. <laughs> Tell us, white woman. Help. That wasn't for me. That was for your people. Help the people. I can see you sitting in your Sunday school class right now with Dr. Barbara Holmes said. <laughs> you better tell them. <laughs> Help your people. Shit. Oh, Jesus. But the true test for me is going to come whenever we get to a place where Thomas Lane, J. Alexander Kuhn, and Tutal are on the seat. Mm-hmm. Because I think what's interesting or intriguing about those three individuals is that they sat there and watched. Were any of them involved in this trial? Did any of them testify? None of them testified. One of them is a mixed race human. One of them is white. One of them is Asian. Right? Because, I mean, I'm sitting here like, that's the embodiment of the American dream. You got diversity right there. You got three people, not all of whom are white, who sat there and watched, who didn't speak up. And my hunch is, and this perhaps it's based on pessimism, but my hunch based on a lot <laughs> is that they ain't going to get no punishment because what they embody is everybody else who stood there and watched. And we could never convict ourselves of sitting there and watching hmm. and letting something happen. We need Derek Chauvin to be evil. We need Derek Chauvin to be a bad apple. We need Derek Chauvin to be the one who can take the fall because nobody else wants to do so. And I don't want to look inside of my own whiteness. And I don't want to look inside and figure out the ways that whiteness has infiltrated my soul. I would rather Derek Chauvin takes the fall and we move on. Right. 
So I thought about one of King's speeches after Jimmy Lee Jackson was mm. murdered in Selma by an Alabama state trooper. And he talked about, he asked a question, what killed Jimmy Lee Jackson? And he proceeded to say that it wasn't just the bullet from the state trooper's gun. And he talked about systems of oppression, all of the things behind that bullet, all of the elements that that came to be that allowed that murder to happen. And I thought about that same thing as I'm thinking about folks rejoicing that Derek has been convicted, right? Because it wasn't just the knee. Like we saw that was the visible representation of so many systemic issues, so many societal problems, so many things that also contributed to the death of George Floyd. Not to mention, Brandon, as you said, that there were three other officers there. For nine minutes and 29 seconds, nobody pulled him off. Nobody said, bro, that's enough. He's handcuffed. Nobody said, hey, yo, Chauvin, stop. You taking it too far. Nobody said anything. Nobody. And so I I, I, I'm, I couldn't rejoice either. I couldn't get excited or happy because, you know, number one, this system that was built for white folks is still going to protect them when, it, when sentencing mm. comes around. Yep. In a, in a decade when it, he's up for probation, you know, there's no justice here. Now, not an hour, not, not 30 minutes after these verdicts were read. Talk about it. Mm-hmm. A teenage black woman by the name of Makia Bryant is shot four times by a Columbus, Ohio police officer. I've said a couple of times I've worked in law enforcement. And although I was a supervisor in the jail, we trained with sheriff's deputies on the road. Use of force training, weapons training, all of that stuff. So they played this video in slow motion, the body cam video. I'm guessing that neither one of you have seen this video. I couldn't watch it. I will not watch any more black people being murdered. I will not do it. I understand. I watched the one of the 13-year-old child in Chicago. I can't do it. I, I, didn't, I did not watch that. And, and I wish I hadn't watched this one, but I did watch it. And they released this video a few hours, like almost 10 o'clock at night after the shooting happened. And I said, they're releasing this video so quickly because they must feel like there's something in this video that justifies this officer's actions, right? And they slowed it down so that you can actually see this young girl is in a confrontation. She actually like um, runs up to this other girl and she does have a knife in her hand. And she's literally, she's literally about, you know, she's making a motion like she's about to cut the girl. And the officer is saying, hey, hey, stop. No, no, you know, and he shoots four times. And this is why there's some merit to these arguments of abolish and defund the police. Because when I watch that in slow motion, the training that I have been through tried to not justify, but say, based on this officer's training, I see why he thought he had to respond with the level of force he did. I was reading the comments and people was like, why he didn't use a taser or why, why he didn't do this? When law enforcement is training you, use of force training, you're supposed to meet the level of force with the same level of force, right? A taser is considered less than lethal or non-lethal. A knife, a gun, those things are lethal. And so 
for you to use a non-lethal uh, level of force when someone is using a lethal level of force. They put this in your mind. You're trained that that could cost somebody's life. That could, you know, if he shoots a taser and one of the prongs doesn't hit, this girl gets stabbed and dies. You could have prevented that if you had the proper training. This is how they train police officers, right? And the only time you're supposed to use lethal or deadly force is when you believe your life or someone else's life is in immediate danger. That's the only times it's acceptable or appropriate to use force. And so I'm watching this video in slow motion. I'm saying, based on this guy's training, some people would say he was in a tough situation. And I don't know that based on his training, a lot of people would do something differently. Then I started thinking about Adam Toledo, who didn't have a gun in his hand. Or Kyle Rittenhouse, who literally has a weapon across his chest after shooting three people, approaching the police. Your boy in Colorado, I've mentioned him before on this podcast, who's literally still has his rifle when the police approach. Society does not see black people as their own. Because if they did, you wouldn't have to escalate to that level of force. You wouldn't want to escalate to that level of force. All right, it's time for another quick pause and then we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Just give us 15 seconds and the conversation continues right after this. There's a parade on the inside that I can't keep to myself. I can't do your runs. That's fine. Do yours. Staring up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the depths of my soul. Come on. Yes, sir. So excuse me if I seem a little Woo. giddy or maybe even strange. Mm -hmm. Praise is the way I say things. Yes, sir. Well, amen. Praise is the way I say things. White people are something else. What's the lady's name uh, that's the speaker of the house? Nancy Pelosi. Did you hear the statement that she made? I didn't. No, I'm trying not to listen to anything white people say right now. Bruh, no, you got to hear this. What did she say? She says, thank you. Thank you, George Floyd, for giving your life so that we can have justice or some kind of bullshit. See, this is the problem. This is what I keep trying to tell people. This is what I keep trying to tell people is they need black people to die. Like... They keep replaying the crucifixion narrative Correct. and they act like there's something about the system that's going to be redeemed because a black man was murdered. But how many black men have you killed? Like how many of us is it going to take for you to finally feel like there's actual justice? There's no number. There's no number. Society would have to regard black life with some level of value for there to be a quantifiable number. There's no number. Because for this society, there is no value. She said, thank you, George Floyd, for sacrificing your life for justice. For being there to call out to your mom. How heartbreaking was that? And because of you, your name will always be synonymous with justice. Because you let us kill you, we'll now try to rope you into, literally rope, noose you mm -hmm. into, the apparatus that is the American political system. And so the niggers won't rage. We'll say your name every time we say justice. Do not disgrace George Floyd like that, please. 
Do not disgrace his name like that. Madam Speaker. It's bad enough that y'all have already taken over the term justice to the point where I'm like, what are y'all actually talking about? Don't try to take his name too. Like white people, this is another moment where you're too eager. (laughs) Like you are too eager. What I've realized recently is that white people cannot sympathize, empathize, connect with, care about black people because the only way for white people to care about things is to recenter themselves. And because there's, you have no ability to comprehend what it means to exist as a black human every day, all you want to do every time is recenter yourself in the dialogue. Like, I was so perplexed by how many white people were eager to speak. It's like they said, well, y'all told us to speak when the shit was going crazy. Y'all told us to say Black Lives Matter when the man died. And y'all want us to say, no, we want you to be quiet. I don't want you to speak up right. I want you to just have a couple of seats. Have all the seats. We're going to have to bring back the fucking mourner's bench because <laughs> Nancy Pelosi. Maybe maybe just for this episode, we need to do <laughs> a mourner's bench. There's a lot of folks that need to go on there. There's a lot of folks that need to go on there. A whole like, that's lot. how bad this has been. Like We need the mourner's bench back just because of how bad this has been. And I'm going to start, we're going to start off this episode with a clean slate. Hey, everybody's off the bench, but guess the fuck what? You're all about to be back on there by the end of the episode <laughs> because that's how foolish y'all been in the last 24 hours. It's amazing how many white people claim this as a victory. Or say it's a beginning of something new when this has been going on for 400 plus years. The fact that white folks are rejoicing. I know black, and I know, I know Brandon, you, you felt some kind of way personally, right? Um, there was a lot of black folks who felt like they could exhale or, or, or have a moment you know, and, and to each his own. Like, I agree with you there. If some people feel like this provided some sense of of joy in the brief moment that they needed it, fine, by all means, for you black folks. <laughs> but you white folks. This ain't your no, moment. No, 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 It's not your turn. No, no, no. If you open your mouth, you, you, you should only be concerned with how your black Friends, relatives, co-work, anybody's feel. I mean, like you should just. What do you need? How you know? Can I be? Can I be present in a way no. that is helpful to you at this moment? No. If, it, if you're seeking anything, no, I'm not. But to claim victory, or maybe maybe some black people feel like it is a victory. I don't. But that's but but no, that's they fucking choice. What it's not is white people's victory. I started off saying victory belongs to Jesus. Victory don't belong to white people. No, it don't belong to y'all. You sound anti-white on this podcast. It really don't belong to to y'all. It really don't belong to y'all. Are you anti-white? I'm not anti-white. I'm pro-black. And in the American political economy, that inevitably means that I'm anti-white. Because (laughs) everything about this country, even it claiming that there's been justice served, when George Floyd's blood is still crying out from the ground, it's anti-black. And so because I'm pro-black, I don't need y'all to die. Well, sometimes on my worst days, <laughs> I'm like, the world would be so much better without white people. Let me tell you, the moment George Floyd breathed his last breath, there could be no more justice for George Floyd. Yep. And I know a lot of people, even black people are saying, you know, finally justice is done. George Floyd could have gotten justice if reform had been passed after they killed Philando Castile. Huh. 
Call the name before that. And the changes. What, which name is before that? I'm, well, I, I'm I'm thinking about Minnesota. In I'm, I'm putting this in, yeah. and, and I'm, I'm putting it in the context of Minnesota. Put it in the context. I hear you. I'm sorry. George Floyd could have gotten justice if meaningful reform, abolishing the police, and creating something better had happened after Philando Castile, who was a registered gun owner and followed all the laws, was killed by the police then George Floyd could have gotten justice by not being killed. But there, there's the moment he breathed his last breath, there's no justice for George Floyd. And so the question is, if all these people who want to say that finally justice was done, the question is, are we going to get justice for the next person who's killed by the Minneapolis police? No, I want to ask a different question for a second. The question is, whose justice is it that you are claiming? Hmm. So if it's the case that even for black people who felt like celebrating, and again, I'll say it here, I've said it before, I say it, I've said it everywhere that I go. I am not interested in policing black people's emotions. We have enough policing going on. I don't need to police your emotions. Feel whatever you want to feel. I want you to feel your shit, black people. They couldn't even get down to the third guilty. They couldn't even get the second one half of it. There was like, guilty, good, justice! Like, how did y'all get there so quick? Whose justice is it that you were claiming? And all I can say is that's the state's justice. And, and by the state, I mean America. And by America, I mean the empire. And by the empire, I mean any sort of country, any sort of organized national body that claims it owns justice and claims it can organize and structure that in a manner that should lead to the flourishing of human life. There are too many bodies on the ground for you to now call justice. So now you're not claiming justice for George Floyd. You're claiming justice for America because what America is attempting to do in this is to literally absorb it. I wrote this on Facebook, and so some of y'all probably already seen it. it. This whole thing was whiteness making a choice to preserve itself. It was calculating. Like the only reason, literally the only reason that we are sitting here today is because a young black woman by the name of Darnella Frazier had the wisdom to pull out her camera, her phone, and record every minute. In the absence of that video, everybody knows where we would have been. And so the fact that it took an entire year and a month-long trial where they tried to assassinate George Floyd's character every single day is what it took for y'all to claim justice. That's not our justice. And, And I think what's frustrating to me is Joe Biden is sitting here now talking about, I'm about to call for police reform. Bro, you've been in the system since you was 29 years old. Now you want to do it? <laughs> Black people be so quick to police one another. And I don't even, I'm almost at the place where I don't care anymore. Don't hear me saying that I don't want it to happen. I think any step is a step in the right direction, but don't put George Floyd's name on it. Don't sit here and have it, have it the George Floyd police reform bill as if that in some way absolves you of your whiteness and absolves you of your complicity in the system that requires Black people to die. Like, what it would take for this to actually be about justice for George Floyd is for you to name every single bill for the next 2,000 years after black people who've been murdered. And you still, in 2,000 years, wouldn't have enough names. If every single state for the next 200 years named every single bill they passed after a black person And if every bill that the United States Congress was able to pass for the next 200 years was named after a black person, you still wouldn't have enough years 
for justice to have been served if that's your definition of justice. Why is it that out of all the black people who've been murdered, George Floyd is the one you want to put a name, like you want to put George Floyd's name on the bill only because everybody saw you. Everybody sat there for eight minutes and 43 seconds. Nine minutes and 26 seconds. Nine minutes. Everybody sat there for nine minutes and 26 seconds and watched y'all murder George Floyd. Oh, I'm sorry. You you were actually right. We only watched eight minutes and 43 seconds. His knee was actually on. We sat here and watched for eight minutes and 43 seconds George Floyd being murdered. In the absence of that traumatizing video, y'all wouldn't be doing any of this. Whiteness made a calculation. It said, if we don't do this, the blacks are going to rage in the streets and they're going to fuck our shit up more. Protect whiteness. Like, I'm sorry, I'm going to shut up because I'm getting all this out because I didn't prepare for this today. I didn't have the energy. But there's, I was listening to podcasts and I was reading articles this morning and there was one that talked about how Derek Chauvin sat there with a blank face the entire time looking back and forth from the judge to the jury, Mm -hmm. from the judge to the jury. And then when the judge pronounced the sentence, everybody describes Derek Chauvin giving a head nod to the judge putting his hands behind his back and being walked out of the courtroom. The the casual nature with which he hears that he's guilty, no apology, no acknowledgement of the wrong. He head nods because he signed a contract with whiteness and whiteness said, we will protect you as long as you don't fuck with our system. But the moment that you become a threat to the preservation of the system, we got to let you go. And he knew that in his bones. Let's take a break and get right back into it. So to round out our conversation today, what should we be doing right now? Like emotions are high, emotions are raw. For me, I think I'm still mostly unclear about what my most faithful next step is. I know that for me today, my most faithful next step was to try to get to a place of practicing some kind of joy and not letting my... Um, anger against white supremacy consume me and not letting my frustrations with the limitations of the American legal process that they like to call justice consume me. Like I'm trying to imagine something different. And so for me, that means laughter and it means foolishness and it means church announcements that have nothing to do with reality because that's a way that I can try to shake myself out of, uh, of my funk. So what are the things that we should be doing right now? Not that um, create fantasy worlds as if Derek Chauvin's not real, as if George Floyd wasn't murdered, as if Adam Toledo wasn't murdered, as if Makia Bryant wasn't murdered. But what are the things that we should be doing in the world right now um, to live faithful lives? I think we should go to the gun range. I think we should practice. That's the most faithful next step. Shit, yeah, based on this episode. We need to go to the gun range. I'm just saying, talk to me about it. Earlier, you said that you haven't taken the next step in terms of your gun ownership. Let's get you more comfortable. Let's teach you some good practices about shooting, about um, carrying a weapon or owning a gun. I'm sure your partner has probably already introduced some of these things. You have had these conversations with you. Um, but let's go to the gun range. Let's go. All right, Sam, I'll go with you. I might shoot your ass. I might shoot you. I don't know. 
Uh, <laughs> that's why people can't have guns. Right. This is why exactly. motherfuckers can't have guns. Right. Exactly. This is so. Yeah, I was at a shooting range before the pandemic started, and I mean, I I went with someone who says this is a stress relief to shoot the I targets, and we shot rifles and we shot handguns, but the people next to us were shooting an AR-15. And when yeah. I tell you how loud that is and how, like, as a parent who has to send a child to schools where I have no doubt that the gun violence in schools is going to increase as soon as they go back, that that is a sound that is unbelievable. It is uh, petrifying. And so... I I don't have a problem with gun ownership, but I do have a problem with people owning machine guns. Weapons of mass... Mass destruction. Casualty in, in death. Right. And so, yeah, I think, I think there's a, that's an argument that people have is that we have no problem with the Second Amendment. We have no problem with gun ownerships, but weapons of war should not be on the streets or in the homes of regular people. And I and I I, I must yeah. say I kind of agree with that. Even though I would be lying if I say I did not want to own an AR-15 at some point in my life, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just because they look cool. But um, but no, I agree with that. This is not the most faithful next step. This is a fear response, but I'm just locating myself and owning my shit. Like I want the ability to be on somebody's balcony with a machine gun, an assault rifle, and be able to go to town if and when that moment comes. So like my whole, I think if you are someone who can't do that and doesn't want to do that, like me, make sure that you have friends who do have those supplies so that you can align yourself with those individuals strategically when the race war starts, continues, intensifies. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get together. We're going to the gun range. We're going in our in our preacher collars. We're going with our guns. We're gonna take photo shoot afterwards. It's gonna be one of our uh one of our um cover photos for for the podcast. The holy shit pod goes to the ho- the- oh that's that'll be a great picture for the holy shit pod. We yeah, should totally cause... do that. Not even, <laughs> we should record it live. Oh my god, idea! I should have a recorder in my pocket, and we should do live reactions. We definitely going in collars. Katie, don't look crazy. Ain't nobody going to pull you out of your uh, church. <laughs> this is my church. Oh, I love it. We should go in our <laughs> clergy collars. That's what I just said. How are you going to make it sound like it's your idea? What the fuck? Oh. What? I was, Did you just do that? I was, <laughs> <laughs> he does that all the time. Mm-hmm. Isn't that how white people do? Like, 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 you'll say something and be like, and you'll be like, we should do this. You'll be like, we should do this. And then the whole room's like, yes, we should do this. Like, I was trying to do that. I was trying to see how it felt. I want, I've been praying that the Lord blessed me with the confidence of a mediocre white man. And I thought that was like, no, I'm just playing. I haven't been praying that at all. This is something we could do. Katie, do you have a gun? I do not. Can you get a gun? Oh, shit. Yes, you're white. Of course. Can't I borrow yours? Or do you not let white people shut you? I only have one. I mean, I don't have a license, so I can't borrow. So, I mean, I have I have no people with guns. That's not true. The law, the the um, state of Georgia does not require you to have a law, uh, license to carry uh, to open carry a weapon. You already know that. What? Like you don't even have to have a license for it? Where have you been? North Carolina. The last weapon that I purchased in the state of Georgia, I went and I and they ran a background. They did run a background check, which took about thirty minutes. It came back like clear. And I bought it, and that was it. I only need a permit if I want to conceal yep. 
the weapon. Yeah. If I want to carry it in my waistband or somewhere where it is not seen or in my vehicle. But if I, if it's openly on my body or if it's openly in my vehicle, I do not need a permit or a license of any kind. Okay. White people came up with that shit. Well, <laughs> my, <laughs> when my daughter and I were traveling through South Carolina a few weeks ago, we were at a gas station and she went in the bathroom and she was there a long time. I was like, what's going on? And she goes, well, I walked out and all these people had guns on there. They were all open carry. I was so afraid to walk out. I just assume people have licenses when they're doing that. That is the most faithful next step. I'm appalled. Welcome to Georgia. It's the most backwards shit I've ever seen in my life that I don't have to have a permit to carry it openly only if I want to conceal it. Which, again, you go back to Philando Castile in Minnesota who had a permit, who notified the officer that he had a concealed weapon and got shot for it. And that's why I was like, these laws are never meant for black folks. Even things like the NRA, you, you've never heard them come out in support of gun ownership after a Philando Castile or someone black is killed for rightfully owning a gun. They only defend white folks. Yep. White mass murderers, white folks who scoot up, shoot up schools or well, scoot stuff up, like that. Scoot up shoes. Scoot up shoes. And it's crazy. Who are you? Why are y'all scooting up the shoes? I have no idea why they can scoot up the shoes. Shit. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd like to end every episode with an invitation. Um, and come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Woo, I felt that. Come to Jesus. Just now, Brandon know he want to sing. He fighting it. He fighting it in this. He fight- <laughs> because see, this is the thing that I realized. Like, I don't know what happened to me, but I got like a, I, I got a hybrid praise. <laughs> and I think sometimes you just got to know what the spirit is doing, and you have to know when your hybrid praise ain't what's needed. So like, <sighs> you was giving me good Black Baptist Church deacon <laughs> sitting on the front row after vacation Bible school, and somebody's soul was about to get saved. And I was gonna he give you shata. Oh my tana my you stupid man. I'm shit. I'm gonna get saved all over again. <laughs> Sometimes you don't need no contemporary praise, no hybrid praise. I got white people praise, Latinx praise, I got black people praise, I got William Murphy, I got all that shit. And sometimes you just need the old Baptist deacon to sing. Yes, yes, yes. Hallelujah. Only, Only trust. trust. <laughs> we always in the spirit together. Only trust. Yes. Yes. <laughs> only trust <clears throat> I can't do it That's why I said I gotta Only trust him just now That's fine It's a good addition Praise God Just now Okay the invitation That's, that's something we would trust For all of you who don't know that's, that's how we would go Into an invitation In the black church Only trust him Some kind of song like that You know Just now My God We need to take a minute Sam, I want you to sing the uh, sing. Uh, we going to the altar. Pray for me. Sing that. Pray for me. Oh, my brother, my sister, my sibling. Pray for me. Come on. Uh, when you bow at the altar, please don't forget. 
to pray for me. Oh, my love. Pray for me. Is there one? Is there one? <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> Is there one? Will there be one? The doors of the church are now open unto you. Will there be one? My invitation for listeners today is, I want you to feel what you feel and I want you to feel it deeply. This is specifically for black folks. We've said it over the course of this episode. Feel what you feel and feel deeply. Because at the end of the day, I think one of the things that white supremacy invites us to do is to forget our feelings and to forget how those feelings become stressors, become traumas, and we carry those things in our bodies. And we engage in coping mechanisms as black people. And we're not always aware that when we go and grab that bag of chips, when we go and grab that fried chicken, or when we go and grab whatever that comfort food is, we're actually sometimes responding to traumas that create additional health issues in our communities. And I'm not saying the fried chicken is bad. I'm saying be aware of what your coping strategies are and be aware of your feelings in a way where they don't consume you. And I'll be real. I was on the verge of that thing. Like I was at a place where I would wake up every morning and I was dizzy. I mean, this is in the wake of what, this is just like living through the trial of Derek Chauvin. I was dizzy. I couldn't think straight. My ADHD medicine didn't feel like it was working. And it just felt like I was being consumed by the white supremacist culture. Wow. And not only the national stuff, but when you look at the ways that the national climate, the global climate for Black people are reflected in, your, in, in Black people's everyday right. lives. They never make it on the news. And the microaggressions, the macroaggressions, and the aggression aggressions that we experience on a daily basis, like, that shit is trying. That's so crazy. my invitation for you, for us Black folks, is to feel what you feel deeply. Do not police one another. Do not tell other Black folks how to feel. We need to learn what it means to hold all of our feelings together and to treat it all as a source of life and flourishing for the Black people. I think this invitation is for those folks who are spiritual or religious leaders, Christian leaders, um, since I'm a Christian leader, any other faith tradition that are silent when these things happen to really kind of explore the responsibility that we have to speak to human flourishing in the face of oppression and injustice. Mm. Plainly put, grow a backbone. Or stop saying that you are a leader, a Christian, a faith leader, a spiritual leader. Stop saying that you're concerned about people. Stop saying that you care about human flourishing if these are not events or issues that warrant you opening your mouth and speaking about the, the stuff that's happening like to, to black people. So honestly, yeah, that's my invitation to, to, to the church. I guess I'm giving the invitation to to white people. Or not. You don't have to talk to them. <laughs> no, you should, you should. Somebody white should. Well, I mean, I think this is what, what I've been wrestling with this week. First of all, I think what you said, Brandon, about feeling what you feel. I think everybody should in, encounter that and, and, and seek out community. Because I, I know in my own self when... I'm spiraling down um, with depression or spiraling up with anxiety. Um, if I'm only thinking about what's in my own head, then everything goes um, awry. But if I can seek 
out other people, then I have a greater understanding of the world. I think that goes beyond just the stress and anxiety of this time. White people need to listen. Even in what I wrote on Facebook, I had had people who I love and adore who said, well, this is the beginning. We should be hopeful. And and th- this isn't this isn't a beginning. Derek Chauvin's actions are an example of the police system working exactly how it's been designed to work. And it's going to take more than kind of scapegoating Derek Chauvin for this system to change. And so even the idea of arming people and my kind of discontent with guns or dissonance with guns, I don't feel that fear in the same way, but I need to listen. Um, And so so that's the invitation to the white people is to spend a whole lot less time articulating our feelings about what's going on or our hopes or our desires to know that this world isn't as bad as it is. We've got to listen and figure out how to dismantle this. Ashe, I feel like you should play Beyonce's listen right there. Oh, oh, listen. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. You know what to do. If you are a first time Holy Shit Pod listener, go ahead and hit the subscribe button in your feed and leave us a little rating or review. If you are ornery and you ain't done it already and you've been listening to all these episodes, hit that subscribe button, my nigga. And leave a rating and review. If you have questions, concerns, or prayer for the people, visit theolabmedia.com and leave us a little audio message or send an email to holyshitpod at theolabmedia.com. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next Monday and we're kicking off our month-long series. May is Mental Health Awareness Month and we're spending the entire month focusing on mental health. I think our first one's going to be about purity culture and its impact on Christian people and their mental health. And then the second one is my favorite. It's going to be called Get Out, Us, and Them. How Black Cinema Imitates Black Existence. We'll see you next week. Peace. Because victory belongs to him victory belongs to him victory belongs to him victory belongs it belongs to him Oh, tell me who can stand before us when we call on that great name. His name is, his name is Jesus, Jesus. Precious Jesus, we have the victory. Victory belongs to him. Victory belongs. Yet, yet a conceited bullshit. I tell you, I am not my
Yeah. Who Katie interpret?